Our very existence depends on this. Black strength. Strength that has carried us for decades, but is undermining an important aspect of our humanity and feeding in on itself. Being strong all the time took away our ability to speak about our weaknesses, our sadness, our mental illnesses. This silence is killing us. Welcome to another edition of the Black Doctor Speak podcast. Black Doctor Speak is your source for vetted, accurate information on African-American health from some of the nation's top doctors and is sponsored by the African-American Wellness Project. Welcome to the second year of our podcast, Black Doctors Speak. I'm Dr. Michael Lenore. I'm an allergist, pediatrician, past president of the National Medical Association. And my partner in this podcast, Dr. Amuleto, is the director of the Innovative and Well-Respected Roots Community Clinic in Oakland, California. Each week, we'll be with you talking about the latest issues in health as it affects African-Americans and other underserved communities. Welcome, Dr. Avaletta, to uh, as host of um, Black Doctors Speak. Um, we appreciate having you and your perspective. Uh, I hope you um, uh, enjoy joining us and the audience that we have as we talk about things that we think are important for um, this period of time, this last week or two. So uh, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Dr. Lenore. So today I thought we'd talk a little bit about where we are with the COVID epidemic. Everybody needs to know that. Then we'll kind of move into some issues around mental health and finally talk about what the implication of these new abortion laws are. All right, so this week the CDC issued an uh, advisory that people over the age of 50 or immunocompromised people uh, should get the fourth booster. I think from an immunologic perspective, I kind of uh, respect that. I mean, the science suggests that um, the booster, although it may not keep you from getting infected, with the uh, coronavirus, it will prevent uh, uh, 21 times more effective preventing hospitalizations and deaths. Um, you know, but I'm worried uh, and wonder if you're worried about the fact that people are really starting to suspect that maybe the vaccination process may not be the way to go if we keep issue, issuing these uh, um, suggestions for boosters. Um, they, maybe they should have told us about this in the first place. <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, I think that from the beginning, we've said we don't know how long these are going to last. And I think what's even more important that maybe, you know, maybe is not well known is that because of the emergency and because we were really in a little bit of a hurry, um, there wasn't time to really establish the best spacing of the vaccine and the number of doses I mean, when you think about so many of the vaccines that we have, they are three-dose series. Um, and it's pretty unusual to have dosing just three weeks apart for the first two doses. So I think in the um, kind of uh, rush to get people protected as quickly as possible, we ended up compromising a little bit on how long-lasting it would be or on really determining what the best schedule is. I wouldn't be surprised if somewhere down the line, the schedule for the first, you know, the initial series becomes a three dose series that's more like maybe more like hep B, you know, like a month apart and then and then four months later. So this isn't unheard of in a sense. Um, but I agree with you. We don't have great booster uptake as it is. And now coming out with the fourth one, I just wonder how great the uptake is really going to be. And I think that you're right. People are going to start asking more questions 
um, and rightfully so, to really understand, do I really need, you know, this next booster? Because I think it's a natural question to ask, how many times am I going to be told I need yet another booster? But you see, but that's that's already happening. I've looked at the immunology of this, you know, because my background's in immunology, says that these boosters kind of will push it up a little bit, but maybe not so much. But I think the big thing is that messaging has been so important in the African-American community. And here we come now with these boosters, which I expect, and you expect even infants, get three DPTs and polios. So three of those boosters are not so uh, unusual. But I just think explaining it to an already suspicious uh, uh, group of families is uh, somewhat different, especially when you start thinking about uh, vaccinating, uh, ultimately vaccinating infants and children. Um, but this leads into my second concern, and is uh, you know it looks like I think people uh, think the party's over. I mean they they seem to be dancing uh, wildly around this virus, ignoring some of the things that I think are still critical to keeping it from spreading. Absolutely. I mean we really are kind of. It, 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 it sounds strange to say because I know cases are really quite low right now, but we're really in a precarious time. And I say that because we seem to be pulling back on a lot of um, data reporting. Uh, we're pulling back on a lot of the universal protections that we had in place. And we're doing that before we have all the infrastructure and access that's needed to really fight this thing. And so it feels like, uh, a, a, I mean, frankly, it feels like a little bit of an ominous time to me because it's like that, that calm before the storm where you have people feeling like, okay, cases are down, um, you know, therefore I don't have to be as concerned. But we also have um, the reporting of cases is low. Case data is much more unreliable now than it's ever been because we are having more people test at home. Um, but also the federal government has pulled back on uh, reimbursing for uninsured to get uh, tested, to get treated, to get vaccinated. So we're pulling back access or reducing data reporting, uh, which makes me really concerned of how will we know and will we know ahead of time enough when you know cases are back on the rise and will we be able to reinstitute some of the universal protections like masking and so on? Because I think that people who are really setting up, who saying it's over are the ones who have great access to all the things they need. And we know that's not the case for all of our community. Well, you know, and uh, I'm going to stop here for a minute. You can always ask me questions, too. So mm. uh, I don't to ask all the questions, but okay. uh, so let's continue. Well, you know, let me give you an example of what happened. Uh, and I was at an event. I mean, actually, it was an event that I held because I had a birthday thing. And I, I, you know, put in a bunch of filters and put in the tables a distance apart. And people had to show they were vaccinated and masked. There were maybe about 25 or 30 people. Uh, and everything was great. You know, these are very conservative people. And then I turned on the music. A little Al Green, a little stylistic, <laughs> some of the old school stuff. And everything broke down. Everything. <laughs> I mean, people started dancing in the middle of the tables. I mean, all of the masks came off. I mean, it's like they had been free. I mean, it was it was really unbelievable. It was uncontrollable. Uh, they were dancing all over the house and singing with the singer. I mean, it was like incredible. And I think what that demonstrated is that people are just so exhausted and frustrated with the restrictions that this virus has put on us that I, I think that if you look at, around uh, what I'm seeing in the streets and 
basketball games and soccer stadiums, um, they believe this pandemic is over. Yeah, I think you you know, when you hit it earlier with the with the messaging and how we've talked about things and and maybe it is a little bit of, you know, the American way, the quick fix, the all or nothing and I think, you know, it, it it's really concerning because I think we have to be thinking of it more in grades and in shades and a little more nuance, but people are tired. People have you know, I've just been calling it decision fatigue. You know, every single thing you have to do, you have to think about your risk and the benefit. And do I go to the store? Do I go to the event? And people are exhausted with having to make these decisions. So if you can have, um, and happy birthday, by the way, you know, if you have an event and people feel like, okay, we did enough. We, we checked the vaccine at the door and this and that. Um, then, you know, once you start getting comfortable, uh, we're definitely seeing at the bars and the clubs and things like that with the alcohol, where alcohol gets involved, you know, masks are off and um, and people start to really let down their guard. Um, but we are still hearing about outbreaks. I mean, we're definitely still hearing about outbreaks happening in gatherings and really wanting to be careful. So I think it's a good time to think about what tools do we have? Um, you know, we have the ability to test before uh, an event, for example, and that I think that adds yet another layer, um, you know, doing more things that are outdoors and indoors and so that we can have more flexibility and more um, ventilation and so on. Uh, but I think the all or nothing um, mentality is is kind of getting a lot of folks because, um, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think right now people want, like you say, people just want to kind of go back. But it's not um, it's not 2019, unfortunately. You know, I got some people it looks like they think alcohol is a cure for the virus. <laughs> but in any event, I think, well, I think this just shows the frustration that people feel. You know, one of the things that uh, we aren't talking much about. Uh, is that a lot of people have gotten the virus, you know, uh, in their heyday when it's 10 or 15 percent. Uh, and uh, they don't appreciate the fact that this virus, even if you have a mild case, has the potential to keep you um, asymptomatic for a long period of time. Uh, the so-called long haulers disease, uh, when people have brain fog or pulmonary issues, or cardiac issues. And the reason that's important for a lot of my patients and for Black people in general is that Eventually, this is going to become a disability issue, uh, and uh, resources are going to have to be devoted to it by the healthcare companies. Uh, and um, and if you aren't if you don't validate that you had the disease or you don't have any really proof about it, uh, you may you may be left out. And so many black people had it in the beginning uh, that uh, didn't didn't when, when there were no tests, no nothing. Um, I think that's going to be a problem for us. It is going to be a huge problem. And when you think about um, the, the both the impact of long COVID as well as who's at greatest risk for long COVID, we already know that it's going to disproportionately impact our community. So we're seeing quite a bit of new onset diabetes. We're already quite overburdened with diabetes. So the fact that this widespread, highly contagious virus is leaving in its wake uh, diabetes, new onset diabetes, this is very, very concerning. So this alone, I think, should be a cause for major concern. And then we also know that in terms of who's most at risk of having long-term um, symptoms from COVID is that we're seeing a co correlation with asthma. And we know that we also have disproportionately higher rates of asthma. So these are some things that are giving me concern in terms of, you know, in terms of community health and, and family practice and just kind of the bread and butter of what we already have a bigger burden of dealing with. 
Um, and, you know, and this isn't to mention kind of the increased risk of cardiovascular issues of heart attacks within a year following having COVID, um, the longer term respiratory issues and the neurological issues. I mean, this is something I remember when when they first said, you know, you lose your taste and smell. And I'm thinking that's in the brain. You know, this isn't some. I mean, people try to act like this is a mild symptom, but that's, those are things that are dealt with in the brain. So, um, and so we don't fully understand all of this, but the fact that it could have neurological impact um, is concerning. And, and I just have to say that when we think about long COVID, you know, we don't want anyone to be debilitated or have chronic long-term effects. Um, and certainly it's concern for anyone. But when you think about children and the fact that they, you know, should have decades of good life ahead of them and that they may be still bat battling with neurological issues, psychological issues, that new diabetes, um, respiratory issues, I starts to we, we start to really see the number of life years impacted uh, really add up. And so these, I think, are major, major concerns that we need to be paying close attention to. Yeah, you know, I think I had COVID before um, in December before uh, 2020. Uh, and I mean, I had a lamb chop last night. That was the first time it tasted like a lamb chop in a long time. So I think a lot of people are going to have these symptoms and are not going to know anything about it. And I do think that if it impacts their quality of life, their quality of work, uh, as I'm sure it's going to be for the bigger population. I think African-Americans need to understand uh, that documentation, uh, keeping records is going to be uh, critical if, in fact, you do start to have some of these uh, symptoms. Well, I agree with you, Dr. Lenore, and I'm, I'm wondering, and I, I was wondering this earlier, too, we were talking about the boosters. I mean, one thing that I keep looking for is, are we going to get a test? I mean, are we going to, I know it's hard to measure uh, the protection, you know, long-term protection. I know that uh, because what, what I'm hearing is, you know, the antibodies are decreasing. Well, we know that, right? You get a, you get a vaccine, you get a big boost of antibodies and those diminish over time, but, but we should have the, that second line of defense, right? The T cell immunity, the next line of defense that could still protect us. But do we have any way of measuring that? Or is that on the horizon? Mm -hmm. And, you know, to your point about documentation, isn't there a blood test you could do that would tell you, uh, did you have COVID before or, or do you need a booster? Are we, is that in our future? No, you can do it, but here's the problem. I mean, all this free stuff that we've been getting tests and antibody levels and all of that that has come, you know, in government sponsored is about to go away. Mm. And a lot of these things that we assume, assume are rights of, uh, that we have as citizens are not going to be paid for unless your insurance pays for it or you pay for it. There is a way to tell, and I think uh, people need to know that whether or not you've had uh, antibodies, but if you've been vaccinated after you've had the infection, uh, here again, it all gets kind of lost uh, in the shuffle. But I do think uh, that, um, that in point of fact, uh, we got to have something. And what I'm telling uh, Black people, if you think you've had COVID or if you think you've got it, make sure you document it because if you come up with one of these long hauler things that prevents you from working or studying or doing other things, they're not just going to believe you because you say you have brain fog. They're not going to believe you necessarily because you say you have a pulmonary issue as a result of COVID. So I think documentation is going to be important. Uh, one thing I have to kind of disagree one thing I have to kind of looking at the literature, um, have a little different opinion. Uh, most of the studies are now showing that asthma is not a co 
is not a um, um, a comorbidity from COVID. Is that if people with asthma don't seem to have um, any more COVID infections or asthma from COVID infections. Correct. And in fact, some of the data suggests that it's a different mechanism uh, in patients who have asthma. And so consequently, the virus itself doesn't act the same way. Correct. But in any this long haul stuff, I think, but with the uh, long haul, yes, you're correct in terms of the acute infection, but and I've seen that as well, and it's very interesting, and it seems to have to do with some downregulation of 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 the yeah. of the receptors, right, of those receptors that the that the COVID clicks to. But downregulation. Sorry, I had to get fancy, Doctor Lenore. <laughs> but but I but but with the long COVID, it seems to be. That seems to be the one comorbidity that seems to be correlated to the long-term respiratory uh, symptoms with long COVID. So I agree with you completely about that acute part. And I think we have so much to learn. I mean, this is just one example of how we have so much to learn about what this thing is doing. Um, so seeing that correlation um, to asthma with long COVID was even more surprising um, because of what you just said about um, somehow uh, in the acute time, it does seem to be somehow almost protective. Yeah, yeah that's that's interesting. Uh, you know, you, I don't know how you've time to read all the things with all the things that you're doing. <laughs> that's exactly what the article said. But in any event, uh, so let's move on to uh, real quickly to talk about, oh, before we move into the mental health issue, uh, about these abortion laws and what you think, how you think this is going to turn out. I go back to an era when abortion was illegal. And what we saw was a lot of endometritis, a lot of increase in um, uh, female, black female mortalities uh, from, um, you know, unsupervised abortions, uh, people who can't travel or do things. I just think we're going to kick it back to an era very much like that. Yeah, it's truly frightening. Um, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't get too much in the politics, but um it does feel like definitely turning the clock back for no good reason and coming from a perspective of always wanting to reduce harm. Um, this is something that is sure to cause harm. Um, and I think um, it, it doesn't make sense to me. We know that if you know that people will travel, people will do what they need to do. People will um, take matters into their own hands. Um, and this can result in very real consequences, including death. And we know that, um, you know, because of what, what you were just describing. So um, this just feels like we're going backwards in time. And it's very hard for me to fathom why. Yeah, I just think we need to keep our eye on that and, uh, and, uh, and start looking at the implications of these kind of right wing uh, laws and exchanges around. I wish that the same people that claim to be worried about fetuses will be a little more worried about black infant mortality, black maternal mortality. These are full human beings that are losing their lives. And where is their worry or their concern for that? And who's going to take care of the children? I don't see that. They, they won't even pass the child tax credit. So uh, when you start seeing all these children, who's gonna, uh, they, they don't seem interested whatsoever in, uh, in caring for the providing or providing things that they need. Um, so let's move a little bit into the area of mental health. I know that you at the Roots Community Clinic have been fairly innovative in trying to deal with this because it is clearly in the African-American community a major problem. Everything from anxiety to outright psychosis goes unmissed, unmitigated, and untreated. Uh, tell us a little bit about how you approach that. 
uh, from uh, someone who has responsibility for a wide swath of the black community here in Oakland. Well, <laughs> this is a big topic, Dr. Lenore, and there's so much to be said. I think that we have seen, um, you know, everything running the gamut from folks who have been uh, absolutely uncared for um, to people who have been uh, mistreated, people who have been uh, misdiagnosed, uh, sometimes overmedicated, sometimes undermedicated. So we've really seen uh, the gamut. And a big part of it is because the main source of mental health treatment uh, is in locked settings and is in our jails and is in our criminal justice system. And this is an issue that, um, you know, I think has been a real failure across the country, really, uh, when you look at how we have approached and handled folks with mental health challenges. But we tend to think about people with more severe, you know, and talk about people with more severe uh, diagnoses. And we know that that is very real. But we also have almost like a baseline within our community of uh, anxiety, uh, what, you know, folks call PTSD. You know, we call we call it at Roots Ongo, OTSD, ongoing traumatic stress, because <laughs> if you are constantly being faced with trauma, violence, um, racism. Racism, racial profiling, disproportionate incarceration, disproportionate confinement, institutionalization, um, and really what is multi generational trauma, um, then you may have more of ongoing traumatic stress and anxiety, depression, all of the other things that 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 we know, and so, and these are almost like at a baseline. And so I think you know when we when we think about the systems that are set up. Um, they're really not set up in a way that could have dealt with all this before the pandemic. And now what we saw, I mean, right from the beginning when the pandemic hit, it was like we were seeing, you know, a lot of anxiety, uh, people who have been, you know, clean and sober, just relapsing. I mean, just people who never had, you know, alcohol or, or substance use uh, beginning to engage as a coping strategy in alcohol and substance and so we've really seen everything um, just multiply dramatically. And so I think it has forced us to take a step back and realize we, we the, the gap between what we need and kind of what exists currently is so big that we're going to have to be very innovative and think about having all hands on deck in the situation. And so that has caused us to really... Um, I think not just, you know, it's like we can't wait for the systems to catch up because um, they were already faltering and not meeting the need. But now it's even more of a dire situation that's really going to require all of us, I think, to participate um, in the solution. Yeah, we don't want to. I think we probably it's a too big a topic to kind of explore in great detail today. But because I do want people to recognize some of the innovative ways in which you've approached uh, this very difficult problem. So we can leave that for uh, another another time, maybe next the next uh, Black Doctor Speak. Uh, for those people who are listening to us, uh, we want you to uh, uh, email us at blackdoctorspeak at gmail.com if you have a subject you want us to discuss. Because each week or every other week, we haven't decided just yet, we're going to come to you with a, another some other discussions of current events that we think impact African-Americans at both our local and national level. And sometimes, is there anything you'd like to say before we sign off here, uh, Dr. Avaleta? 
Nope. Thank you for having me. I look forward to talking about uh, the behavioral health because I think it is going to take all of us um, to participate in this together. So I'll look forward to having that conversation. All right. Well, remember, we always sign off with the, that the moniker health is your biggest asset. So protect it. We'll talk again uh, next week. If you enjoyed our show, please remember to hit the subscribe button so that new episodes are delivered directly to you every week, as well as rate us on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember, listening to our show is as simple as telling your Alexa, Siri, or Google to play the Black Doctor Speak podcast. Take care, everyone.